Dear Jesus, thank you so much for entering into the first Holy Week. Thank you for taking our sins upon your life, your perfect, holy, and sinless life. Thank you for speaking through us, average, everyday people, to share the mysteries and the wonders and the things of God. And Lord, as we explore the scapegoat today, the, the, the idea that something else would carry away our sins, we ask that you would bless everyone here in your presence, uh, bless everyone here with the knowledge of your will, and bless everyone here with the comfort of your love. God, we ask that you come and grow us now. Teach us more about your character and teach us how you would use us as instruments of your peace, as the scripture says and promises. In your name we pray and together we say, amen and amen. amen. Good morning, V. Amen. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. I'm doing well. Good. Get you connected there. Doing well there. this morning. Yeah. Thank you. Thank and praise God for, um, for being here this morning. And um, the Bible tells us to give honor where honor is due. And so I'm just honor the Lord first and foremost. And um, my husband, of course, a wonderful man of God who loves me as Christ loved the church, I always tell him. And so I'm grateful for that. I thank God for him. And then, of course, our pastor, who's the angel of our house, who watches over our souls, as the Bible says. I thank God for him and honor him this morning. Um, so as he said, we are concluding this three-week series entitled Before Calvary, where we've been looking at the very strange and shocking emphasis on um, sacrifice, especially Old Testament sacrifice where, you know, this bloody animal sacrifice was required by God and to him alone. And we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, and if you'd like to catch up, you can listen to the podcast. Those are available through the church's website at tlc4u.org, Trinity South Naperville, and then podcasts. But we've actually been talking about how, for modern people, the idea of sacrifice is very strange to us. Um, But for ancient people, sacrifice was a, a huge part of their everyday life. And for God's people, the nation of Israel at that time, sacrifice involved that animal sacrifice. And at the very center of biblical faith, when we look at it, is the bloody death of the sinless man himself, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. And so we've been asking the question, why? Why would God require this this animal sacrifice? And so as, as Pastor Mike mentioned, we're actually going to dive into the Old Testament story of the atonement, and that's in the book of Leviticus. And in the book of Leviticus, it's sort of where the law was given. It's sort of the book of the law. And it's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's heavy. I mean, it, there's a lot in there, and it's, it's heavy, and it, there's a lot to absorb. But the name of the book itself, Leviticus, is actually derived from the name of the tribe of Levi. And Levi was the tribe where, you know, the priests were supplied for the nation of Israel. And Leviticus itself, or the law that was given, is actually a revelation from God to Moses. But it was actually through Moses that he communicated this law. And the law was meant for the entire community of Israel. It was, the, it was meant for everyone. It wasn't just meant for Moses himself, but it was meant for the entire nation. And primarily, it was filled with a lot of instructions, instructions on how the nation was to live with God, how the nation was to live before God, but then also ultimately have a relationship with God. And that's really what God desired then, and it's what he desires now. 
God hasn't changed. The Bible tells us that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so he still desires to have a relationship with us. He wants that. Even if we don't want it, he still wants that. And I just thank God for that. And so when we look at atonement, we're looking at this day of atonement and, and what actually happened. So the day of atonement was this day on which Aaron made atonement for the sins of the entire nation of Israel. And they had to repeat this ritual every single year. It was an annual ritual. So if we look at the word atone, just atonement, but atone, if we just take out the, if we break it into syllables, the word atone is actually linked to the word ransom. And ransom is where, you know, you pay a compensation, some sort of monetary ransom for something. There's an exchange, there's a transaction there. And it also includes to redeem by offering this substitute. But I also looked at the word atone, and if I break that again into like two syllables, I'm looking at the words at one. And so God is desiring for us to be at one with him. So here we have that, that dynamic of the relationship that he desires. He desires us to be at one with him, as Jesus is at one with the Father. God wants that same relationship with us. And so we're looking at that sacrificial system in the Old Testament, but that ransom required a blood sacrifice. And not only a blood sacrifice, but a sent sacrifice. So there's the scapegoat. So I'm going to ask Pastor Mike to go ahead and read that story in, in yeah. Leviticus. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do uh, the, the learning in Leviticus. R really, as V said, goes back to the practice of the Levitical law. And as you look at, at the structure of the temple and the priests, you see the Levites not functioning as the high priests. So the Levites were not the top of those serving in the temple. They were your worship leaders, your pastors, your priests who served in the everyday functions of leading worship in the temple. And if you divert your eyes to the screen for a moment, you'll see that the Levite priests in the picture are making this very interesting sign that has to do with El Shaddai. Um, I found this as a, uh, as a, a, a tech person, I found this uh, to be strangely curiously like what Mr. Spock does when he wishes a blessing, uh, live long and prosper. In fact, did you know that Leonard Nimoy is or was Jewish? And when they were trying to come up with a way for Vulcans to greet each other, he thought back to when he was a child in his Jewish upbringing and just simply adopted that good old El Shaddai, cut it in half and turned it into the Vulcan greeting symbol. Isn't that cool? So if you watch Star Trek, there's a direct tie to your faith, okay? So just go ahead and enjoy that. So as V said, atonement comes from the scripture in Leviticus chapter 16, where you see Aaron dealing with two goats. Now here we don't have lambs involved, we have two goats, and here was the function of the first one. The first goat, uh, Aaron will present his own bull as a sin offering to purify himself and his family, uh, making them right with the Lord. He takes care of his personal business before ministering to others. Then he must take the two male goats and present them to the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle. Now, what was the tabernacle? The tabernacle is kind of like this. It was the trappings of a worship center, but it was basically a big holy tent. Now, this was what Israel used to do their worship services while they were wandering around in the desert for so many generations. 
That's the tabernacle. It's basically a big worship tent. Aaron is to cast sacred lots or roll dice, roll holy dice, to determine which goat will be reserved as an offering to the Lord, which means the blood sacrifice goat. So that goat, was his life was to be taken and blood spilled for the sins of Israel. And that which will carry the sins of the people to the wilderness of Azazel. Now, this place, Azazel, that the scripture refers to is a mystery. Some factions of the Christian faith believe Azazel is a demon. That Israel was sending the scapegoat or the goat that would carry away the sins of Israel out to a demon. Many of us also believe that Azazel is simply just a place in the desert. Something like 12 kilometers away from where they were at the, at the tabernacle. But either way you look at it, Aaron was supposed to determine by rolling some holy dice. I don't know whether he blew the Holy Spirit on them first before he rolled them. But he was supposed to determine by a roll of the holy dice which one would be killed by the knife. And which one would carry the sins of Israel out into some unknown place in the desert. And then the second one, the scripture says a little further in Leviticus 16, this is verses 20 through 22. The, the scapegoat chosen by Lot to be sent away will be kept alive, standing before the Lord. When it is sent away to Azazel in the wilderness, the people will be purified and made right with the Lord. When Aaron has finished purifying the most holy place and the tabernacle and the altar, he will present the live goat. He will lay both of his hands on the goat's head and confess over it, all the wickedness, rebellion, and sins of the people of Israel. So he is laying on all the sins and wickedness and rebellion of the people onto the head of the goat and passing it on to that. And in this way, he will transfer the people's sins to the head of the goat, the Bible says. Then a man specially chosen for the task will drive the goat into the wilderness. As the goat goes into the wilderness, it will carry all the people's sins upon itself into a desolate land. And the question becomes for us, why would God set up a dual system of sacrifice where one of them had uh, his blood shed, just like Jesus did when he was being flogged, when he was being sent through that whole persecution that he went through on the way to the cross? And then why also would God send a scapegoat to take the sins of Israel away? What does that mean to you and me as a follower of Jesus today? So we're going to get into that a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because we are getting a picture somewhat of really what God's purpose and plan is in this. Um, we have this ransom, so the ransom that's paid is blood. So the compensation is the blood transfer, and it was required. But was that really going to solve the problem once and for all? What is that compensation of the animal sacrifice? Is that enough? And that's the question. If we look in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, in verses 1 through 4, do you want to take that one? Yeah, sure. In fact, if you'll look up on the screen and, and just join me in reading it, uh, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide the perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. What in the world? Why would they do that? And why would we continue to worship again and again? 
Great yeah. question. Yeah, it is a good question. In, in the New King James Version, it says, but in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. Mm. So every year that they're having to go and perform this ritual, you're reminded of your sin. You're reminded of everything that you've done wrong. Yeah. You're reminded of the bad that you've done, the thoughts, and just everything that's gone wrong in your life. You're reminded every year of this. Can you imagine living your life under that kind of pressure, that kind of detriment? When would you ever be free of that? When would you ever have a sense of freedom from the thought of every day I have to perform a ritual so that I can feel as if I'm being cleansed? But am I really being cleansed? For in Hebrews, in that chapter, in the last verse, it says, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. It's just not possible. So something else has to happen. There has to be a different transfer. There has to be a different sacrifice, one that would settle once and for all. Because we always need, and we, we still need, every day of our lives, we need someone to take away our sins. Because there's really nothing that we can do. We can't buy it. We can't you know, you know, do good works to earn it. There has to be something greater. Because we're tempted to think that we can through several means. I mean, and especially in the culture that we live in where you know, everything's very materialistic and social, you think that you can sort of earn your way through you know, health. I live a really good life. I'm, I'm a good person you know, through personal power and prestige and honor. You know, oh, I've, you know, I've earned this. But God never intended this and nor does he allow it. Amen. Yeah, amen. And, and what we find is that if we look back in the old system, which is really, guys, the why we're doing, uh, the why of, of, of the Old Testament series that we're doing, is we look back and we understand very clearly that God wasn't coming up with damage control in Jesus. He has always intended for Jesus to be the thing that takes our sin away. In fact, he, as you can see, he predicted he revealed and he fulfilled the idea from the beginning. Yes. He's always meant for this to be. So let's talk about each of those. So what about uh, the prediction, V? Yeah, so it's interesting because when you read in the Old Testament, there are actually a number of predictions. The nation of Israel was aware that there was a greater person coming and they waited and they ultimately through the prophets predicted this. And in the book of Daniel, actually the prophet Daniel himself in chapter nine says the anointed one is cut off and will have nothing. So this scapegoat is sent away for one purpose, that's to carry away the sins of the people to its death. And so we have this idea again of the sacrifice, the sent one, the scapegoat that's sent out to take away something that we just cannot take away ourselves. And Daniel predicted this, I mean, hundreds and, you yes. know, thousands of years yeah. before Christ came. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And then there was revelation through the Levitical law that we just looked at a, a sample of, uh, the, the law of Moses. In fact, in Psalm 103, and I don't know, I don't know if you guys like the message translation, it is a, a paraphrase of the scripture, but I love the language in this, and I'll read the whole thing. You'll see a snippet on screen. Uh, Psalm 103, 7 through 12 of the message version says, He showed Moses how he went about his work, 
opened up his plans to all Israel. God is sheer mercy and grace, not easily angered. He's rich in love. He doesn't endlessly nag or scold, nor hold grudges forever. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, nor pay us back in full for our wrongs. Um, As high as heaven is over the earth, the Bible says, so strong is his love to those who fear him. That word fear means an awesome respect. It doesn't necessarily mean to be afraid of God as if I'm trembling before him, afraid of what he will do to smite me. What it means is I see him for all he is and the glory of all he is makes me shake inside because he's so amazing. All those who fear him and as far as the sunrise is from the sunset, he has separated us from our sins. So the idea of the scapegoat going away and taking our sins away is a real world way to demonstrate how God has looked at your sin and mine. He's cast it out. He's removed it. He's separated it. And he's revealing that from hundreds and hundreds of years ago in our past, way before any of us, including Jesus, was even born. And then he comes along and he fulfills that scripture, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. And it's interesting because when you look at that revelation of Christ and the revelation that God gave to Moses in the Old Testament through the law uh, and the, the priest as Aaron being the priest, but there's the superior high priest who was going to fulfill this, this word, this, this plan that God has. There is one high priest who's greater who would make a unique and very final, a sufficient sacrifice once and for all. And we're seeing this revelation in the Old Testament. And then we see the fulfillment of that in the New Testament when, when Jesus is being born. And it's interesting because there's this anticipation of yeah. this birth, of this Savior. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the shepherds are out and, you know, they're watching the stars. And then Herod sends out, you know, these wise men and you know they do something different because they realize that they also have a revelation of this anticipated one this one who's greater this one who is coming to settle and be the final sufficient ransom he's going to pay this ransom jesus himself pays the ransom he fulfills that through his death on the cross and god is so faithful to his word God watches over his word to perform it. He does not just speak something just to say it and for no reason. There's purpose and there's plans behind everything that God says. And so as predicted in the Old Testament through the prophets, and then we see the revelation of that through the law and through Moses, and then we're seeing the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of his royal birth. And I, I actually, it's funny because when we talk about royal births, Uh-oh. this is funny. <laughs> so I have this hilarious guilty pleasure that I've been following the um, royal to baby to be. Uh, you know, I don't want to say it because we're you know going through the the um, through the podcast, but there's a there's an a- anticipation of a royal baby to be today. You can go ahead and say it, V. It's okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So I do on Yahoo, I go through Yahoo like once a week and I scroll to see what's going on with Harry and Meghan. <laughs> and the world is anticipating the birth of this baby. 
But do you know that there was an anticipation of one who the Bible calls is, calls is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Mm. The world anticipated, heaven and earth anticipated, and the angels even came and prophesied and praised God in the highest in anticipation of the birth of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so this fulfillment, they were waiting for the fulfillment of God's word that he had spoken from the very beginning. We read last week how the Bible said that this, this lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world, he appears to be slain. God had a plan from the very beginning. And his purpose ultimately was always that we would be at one with him. But that we wouldn't have to pay the ransom, that someone else would come. The Bible tells us in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only, only, his son. only son and that whoever, whoever believes in him would not perish. So we don't have to have this fear of death or this fear of having to be reminded year after year of our sins and where we've gone wrong and what we've done wrong, but that God tells us that I'm going to remove your sin. I have a scapegoat. I have someone who is going to take all of that. He's going to bear all of that. And he's going to be sent, and he's going to be sent out. And it's going to be sent so far away from you that you won't have to be reminded of it. You won't even have to see it. Because he erases it. God doesn't remember it. We remember it. And we have an enemy who would like to remind us constantly of where we've gone wrong and what we've done wrong and where we're not right and why we're not right. But God says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't have to be condemned. We don't have to perform rituals year after year and be reminded of what we've done wrong because Jesus paid the ransom. He bought us. He ransomed us with his blood. He's the ultimate sacrifice. Yeah, amen. And if you look at the scripture on the screen over our shoulders there, I'll just read it. For now, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised. Now look at this. As was promised. This is the way God does business and he's always done business this way. God has never said to human beings, you have to keep the perfect letter of the law to be saved and be favorable in my sight. This is from ages, ages past, this idea the scapegoat, the sacrifice. It says, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right, the word righteousness there. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, the scapegoat, sacrifice. And this is true for everyone who believes. Now, folks, let me ask a question. Is it everyone who does it perfectly? No. Is it everyone who does it and then doesn't sin anymore after that? No, it's everyone who does what? Who believes. This is true for everyone who believes. The Bible says no matter who we are, for everyone is sin. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And the standard we know is Jesus. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight, righteousness again. He did this through Jesus, not through you and me and our performance. He did this through Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus, when he freed us from the penalty for our sins, for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. Jesus was and always was going to be the scapegoat. He was always going to be that. 
Um, I love uh, what it says uh, further on in there. All have sinned and fall short of the glorious standard of, of, of God, which is Jesus Christ. Have you ever considered that to be good news for yourself? It says all have fallen short of God's glorious standard. But where's the hope in that? The hope in that is just simply this. The hope as because none of us can reach God's standard. The beauty of the sacrifice of Jesus applies to who? Likewise, all of us, without exception. Jesus died for the sins of all people, including you and me, even and especially when we don't feel worthy of that sacrifice. Isn't that good news? That's what this week coming up is all about. This idea that Jesus rides in on the back of a donkey like a priest. And John, you know, points to him before this and, and, or, or after this event happens. Uh, um, a, a baptism, uh, it, it, after the baptism has occurred, he rides in on this donkey into Jerusalem. But he's been baptized, and this is where John points to him and says, Behold the Lamb of God. Now, what lamb was he talking about? He's talking about the lamb of sacrifice. Both the lamb who was sacrificed on the altar and the one who was sent away. Now, the rams and the goats were kind of interchangeable in this system. Don't take it too literally, but look at what's happening in the name that John gives Jesus. He is the sacrifice that his father always intended him to be. And that sacrifice covers and atones and makes us one with the father through faith in Jesus not through our performance, right? Yes. Isn't that such good news? Yes, yes, it's great news. And it's, it's amazing because last week we talked about the story of the Passover, where Jesus is that same Passover lamb. He's that lamb whose blood was shed and sprinkled on the doorposts. He was the Passover lamb, but he's also the scapegoat. Mm -hmm. It's actually, it's this story of the scapegoat where we get the term, the scapegoat. Yeah. You know, someone's the fall guy. Right. That's where we get this from. But it's amazing because at his death, because he paid that ransom once and for all, we can now have direct access to the Father. We are at one with God. Because the Bible tells us that when Jesus died at that moment, the veil of the temple was torn in two. That meant that we could enter the Holy of Holies we could boldly go before God's throne of grace ourselves because Jesus paid and atoned for us to have that direct access to God. Amen. We no longer can be separated from God. And it's amazing that God is so precise in his word that he would put that small detail in there that the veil of the temple was torn in two because in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, there was a veil and the priest had to go through a ritual before they could enter the Holy of Holies, which was right. behind the veil where the, where the mercy seat was, where this, the cherubs covered the mercy seat. Mm -hmm. yeah. But because of Jesus' death, that final ransom that he paid in blood, his own shed blood, and he did it willingly. That's the other amazing yeah. thing is this is, the, this is God himself, God with us, who willingly did it. He spoke not a word when he's standing before Pilate with 
and Pilate's asking him, don't you have anything to say about yeah, all of this? As the lamb before the shears is silent, right? Yes, yeah, yes, right? yes, yep, amen. Mm -hmm. He could call 10,000 legions of angels to come and fight on his behalf and rescue him out of this, but he says in the garden when he prays, Father, not my will, but your will be done. I'm going to do this because I want to. Amen. He's on the cross because he's thinking about V. He's thinking about Pastor Mike, Aunt Michaela. He's thinking about all of us. He has all of us on his mind because he loves us. There, there is no greater love than that. I, I'm speechless. Yeah, amen. And, and it really comes down to why, why does God do business this way? Because he's after your heart. He wants to show you what it's like to lose everything for someone he loves. And he does that to capture your heart. And even if you have the roughest, most calloused stone heart in the world, you can maybe fathom, if you think about it, what it might be like to lose a child. You've seen that happen around you. Maybe you've had that happen to you. God lost his child, knowing that he would get him back to pursue you. He wants you. He wants to be your God, to be your father. And he's done everything possible to win your heart. The question becomes, are we going to be open to receiving what he's done and what he's given? and what he's paid. That's what this next week is all about. It's all about understanding what it is the depth of God's sacrifice in his beloved scapegoat, whose name is Jesus. Amen? Amen. Should we pray and close? Yes. So we're gonna invite our kids to come back in a couple of minutes. Be warned, they will be waving actual palm branches when they come in the room. <laughs> and we're gonna welcome them in just like those folks welcomed Jesus to the holy city about 2,000 years ago. Let's pray, and then we'll invite the kids to come back in here in a couple of minutes. You want to lead us? Sure. Yeah. Sure, I'll lead. Father, thank you so much. Words just seem inadequate to express our gratitude for Jesus being our scapegoat, for paying the ultimate sacrifice for us shedding his own blood. God, we're so grateful because from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And there is none like Jesus, none like you, Lord. We love you today, God. We thank you so much. We glorify and magnify you. We thank you so much that you touch each one of us today, Lord God, and that you send us that we are now the hands and feet of Jesus, the church in the earth today, sent forth to do your will and to do your work. And God, we thank you so much that you paid the price so that we can do that and that we can compel men to, and, and people and women and children and everyone, that we can compel them as well to come and see the lamb who was slain since the beginning. God, thank you so much for that sacrifice. You are Hosanna, and we say glory to God in the highest. Amen. We thank you so much, Father. Pour out your spirit on us today, Lord God. Transform us. 
speak to our hearts as we draw near to you, Lord God, draw near to us. We humbly come before you and thank you so much today, giving you glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.